0: This is Comscope Crosstalk. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Mike Reardon. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, once said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I believe most world changers remain relatively unknown to the rest of us, unless we happen to be connected in some esoteric way. In our industry, We often bear witness to people incrementally changing the world through a little-known organization called iMasons. Today, we're fortunate to be talking with the founder of iMasons and CEO of Cato Digital, Dean Nelson. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. We're so glad you're here. You're fairly well known in some circles, but I'm not sure how many in our audience know you as well as others do. I like giving our audience an opportunity to know a little bit about our guests on a personal basis as quickly as possible. And I find that something that resonates with people in getting to know each other is the subject of music, specifically people's taste in music. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, what would you say is your favorite song
1: or album or band and why? (laughs) um this will seem a little weird but uh i have been a heavy metal guy for a long time matter of fact mike you and i have uh, touched bases back in 90s the 90s right that's when we first met that's right but um uh i have two favorite bands right now uh five finger death punch and uh bullet for my valentine which is weird because most (laughs) people are like what the heck are those i i just have always loved heavy metal i've always been in it i've sang it right and um and when i need to focus this is what's weird i will put my headphones on put in a mix of those bands and I will just crank. It's the it's the aggressive, right? Just movement of the music. It's kind of like in a workout. When I'm doing work and things, I'll find myself four hours later I've just jammed through a whole bunch of stuff and and, you know, six albums. <laughs> That's great.
0: <laughs> Oh man, cuz you know you and I we have a bit of a history together with music. Mm-hmm. I actually I actually still have a video of you and me in a recording studio in Menlo Park no. when our bands were friends with each other. I do. I do. We had a lot more hair back then, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I I always remember you had an amazing singing voice, so I'm curious do you still do much singing these days? Uh,
1: I, I do, but uh, I mostly live vicariously through my daughter, who actually is a full-on musician in the entertainment industry, and and uh, she's kicking butt. Wow! So she's in the music industry. Mm-hmm.
0: She did not fall far from the tree, did she?
1: Nope. Yeah, and I got to do a, a selfless plug here. So she's uh, in a group called Citizen Queen, and uh, you should look at it. It's uh, the power. The power girl groups are back. Incredibly talented stuff, and uh, they just released an EP called uh, Click. And, uh, look it up that's on Spotify. Fantastic. Yep.
0: Okay. So they can go what's citizenqueen.com?
1: Mm-hmm, citizenqueen.com or go to Spotify or Apple iTunes, to- iTunes, anything. Yep. They're on all the different platforms.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Awesome. All right. So you're a busy guy, obviously, but before we get into all of that, tell me a little bit about your background.
1: Um, yeah, I've been in the industry 34 years now. Uh, I started at Sun Microsystems on my 21st birthday, by the way, which is always fun because I, I came into the Silicon Valley. I had no idea what it was, just nothing, but I did 17 years at Sun Microsystems and, uh, two different stints. And I did a startup company in the middle called Allegro Networks. And Mike, you and I met during the first stint at Sun when I was going up to Vallejo and doing van- shows and stuff and things. Um, but then, uh, after, um, uh sun basically oracle came in and purchased uh sun i left and went to ebay and that was when it was ebay inc and um that had paypal and StubHub and all these other companies acquisitions and so we did the integration of ebay and paypal and also the separation all within 25 months crazy right we created two of those and um i stayed on the uh, ebay.com side and then um i left ebay Uh, After about seven years, and then went and did uh, six months helping my daughter find colleges. She went to USC, and that's where a lot of the music stuff started syncing up. Um, And then I joined Uber and spent three years at Uber doing that rocket ship. Uh, And all this is in digital infrastructure. So think of data centers, hardware network, supply chain, orchestration, budget management, uh, that stuff. The engine that runs the Internet of everything. And, And so I left Uber on my 51st birthday. So I did 30 years exactly on the buying side, and then went off to start doing advisory council work and everything else, um, and uh, then joined boards. And now I ended up stepping into the CEO position of the company I'm with now called Cato Digital. And uh, we're building uh, bare metal as a a low cost, low carbon uh, solution around the world. Um, But one other thing that I do now too is uh, Infrastructure Masons. And I started that in between eBay and Uber. And that was to unite the builders of the digital age, which is us, right? All the people that make this industry happen and make the world's infrastructure work. Uh, And that's grown uh, rapidly as well. So I'm doing Infrastructure Masons, I'm doing uh, Cato Digital, um, uh, living vicariously through my daughter. And the beauty of my career is that these jobs that have come through, I've I've been able to now uh, innovate and break things. I really like going and disrupting. And so moving on to what is next. And so I've been able to drive about $10 billion worth of infrastructure projects across now four continents, which is neat. Um, And and that's, to me, is just the beginning. Because what I'm working on right now, I think will have the biggest impact of my career.
0: That's exciting. Well, I want to get into that. I want to get into that a little bit. But you've already touched on a little bit about infrastructure masons. And I remember seeing... The, the early days of Infrastructure Masons realizing, hey, that's Dean. I know Dean. <laughs> so you founded iMasons. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little about what led you to create iMasons and what was the initial premise?
1: Yeah. So I'll back up a little bit. Okay. Um, when I was at Sun Microsystems, there was uh, the new CEO that stepped in uh, that Scott McNeely had promoted was Jonathan Schwartz. And I remember being at a leadership summit and he's talking about communities. And he's saying, oh, we've got the Java community and we got like, he just kept talking about all these different groups of people. And I sat there thinking, what's my community? I actually don't have a community. Hmm. You know, when you think about infrastructure itself. So um, I started this thing called Data Center Pulse. And that was really just to get our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the data center industry. And so that grew rapidly uh, through my time at Sun and into eBay. And then um, I got so busy at eBay with all the work I was just talking about. Um, I lost touch with that community. So when I left uh, and I wanted to get the community back together, but it's more than just data centers. Data centers is an element. It's a packaging that lets the equipment inside, right? And the power that serves it. And then the applications that actually run on it enable the internet of everything. So how could we build that up? And so I kept thinking about this. We're kind of the builders, the builders, like the masons were the builders, right? We're the builders of the digital age. So it's, you know, infrastructure masons, is where it all came from and that just uh now built up and i i made a phone call to nine people i called each of these individual friends and i just said hey i'm thinking of doing something are you in and uh they were in and then it went to 100 people and now it's seven thousand. and like it just it's it's representing over 200 billion dollars worth of infrastructure projects across 130 countries we never thought it would be this but you just think about our peers in the industry, the people that work at the Microsoft, AWS, Google, Meta, Microsoft, or or, uh, Apple and all of them, but you also think of all of the other companies. Okay, so this is the co-location companies. These are all the suppliers. So think of Comscope, right? What's the reach of Comscope? It's everywhere. You supply everybody, right? But you take all of those players and you bring them together and you create a community, but we did this a little differently. It's about the individuals. We leave our companies at the door right? We connect as professionals because you never know who's going to work for you, who you're going to work for. And the key is you don't lose your status when you change your job. That's right. It's about you. It's what, you know, we care about the community of people like that because when we bring them together, we can tackle a lot. So, that's the that was the initiation of it, and it's grown rapidly. Um, we, we focus on four primary things. It's education, It's really saying, how do we get the pipeline of talent that's coming back in and how do we retain them and and help grow people in their careers? Uh, The second one is inclusion. How do we ensure that we're including more people than you and I, right? Caucasian males over 50. How do we go back and address the other population because they're missing so many in our industry, right? You just look at the pool of talent we're missing. How do we attract them in there from an inclusion standpoint and how to retain them? And then the other one is sustainability. Right? We'll talk a little bit about that, too, the climate accord that's come out of it, yeah. but it's really about really driving infrastructure um, right um, sustainability. And then the other one is innovation. All those things tie together. What are the technologies that allow us to be able to accelerate these other initiatives and really um, increase the value of digital infrastructure globally?
0: Well, and you've already answered my second question, which was how has it changed from its original premise? But how long ago was that? When did you actually start Infrastructure Masons? Do you remember the year?
1: I do. It was April 2nd, 2016, because I didn't want it on April 1st.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And you've mentioned this a couple of times. Not long ago, infrastructure masons created the iMasons Climate Accord. So explain what that is and what its overarching purpose is.
1: Yeah, let me start with the end in mind. So the whole point was we want to decarbonize digital infrastructure.
0: Hmm. All
1: right. So we need to be the exemplar or the the pillar of how to go do this because it's a technical infrastructure portfolio. It's innovation, it's technology. We should be able to be able to solve these problems. So we should be leading the charge on that. Now, now we go to the other side. Why did we start it? It's because we weren't moving fast enough. So in uh, 2020, matter of fact, on Earth Day, right in the middle of the pandemic, we launched the iMasons sustainability vision. That was every click improves the future. Hmm. And the reason this is important is the words in there, every click, right? Swipe, whatever it is, improves the future. There's so much to that little sentence, Sure. which means that it should improve all aspects of the future, whether it's sustainability, jobs, creation, access, the great leveler when it comes to people participating in the business, like infrastructure enables this to happen. Just like when you get power and water to a community, they grow. <laughs> Same thing with digital infrastructure. It's the next utility that's required for everybody to participate. So when we we put that together, we're like, great, we're going to start to unify. And we had AWS, Google, Meta, Microsoft, all executives across this, all forced behind or all behind this vision. But then we were looking at it going, what's actually happening? It's not fast enough. So I called uh, Christian Bellotti, um one of the first people that we pulled back in. He's, he was at Microsoft. He just retired. Um, he created PUE. The metric that we all know about. He's, he's just done some incredible things in the industry. But I called him up and said, um, you're part of the advisory council and uh, we're all frustrated that we're not moving fast enough with sustainability. So, can we host the next advisory council session at your house? <laughs> <laughs> not, not kidding. So, I called him up and did that and, um, and there was a reason behind it. He had told me a story about his dad. And his dad had, um, I think he was the guy that created CMOS chips. Anyways, he's been in technology forever. And so, um, he had all these people around him working on things. So, Christian, when he was at his house when he was younger, didn't realize who these people were until he saw a documentary. And he said, I know those people. That's my dad. And they're talking about the innovation of silicon and, like, the technology that we all ride on. And he goes, those people are at my house. (laughs) I had no idea, like he was a kid, and he had no clue that these people that were you know industry movers and, and kind of you know business makers were there and uh, and so I never forgot that, and that's when I called him up and, and said, "You know, you're surrounded by a lot of people that are influencing in the same way, so why don't we bring them to your house? It's your industry, right?" It's your world. Why don't we do that? And and it was amazing because we brought forty executives together in his house. We spent almost six and a half hours, and we had one topic: find a single thing that we can do together to accelerate our time to get right to decarbonize. So basically, we spent all that time, and we almost got there to the one thing. Then six weeks later, we came through, and we had uh, we had the synthesis of all this stuff, and the Climate Accord was born. And the reason I'm giving you this background is those are the founders of the things that we're working on. Mm-hmm. So that six weeks. We had 73 companies signed up six weeks after that when we launched it in, in Monaco. And six weeks after that, we're, we doubled it again. And now we're over 250 companies that are involved in this. And that is over $6 trillion in market cap. The combined income so again you think of the the aws google meta microsoft 85 co-location companies comscope suppliers you know all these different companies that are driving it but we're all on decarbonizing digital infrastructure so so that's the big picture of what what we did to come together now the what is we're doing this across materials equipment and power so we have to have a holistic view of digital infrastructure. That means the materials that build the buildings, concrete, steel, copper, steel and copper represent 17% of the carbon emissions globally combined. Wow. We got to address the embodied carbon inside of the materials, right? Secondly is the equipment, the stuff that goes into data centers, air conditioners, electrical distribution, servers, switches, storage devices, all the devices that go in, the things. Well, we're going to do a carbon label on them. Now, just like a nutrition label, you understand what the embodied carbon aspects are of that thing, so you know the carbon history of it, okay? So, materials and equipment represent the embodied carbon. What I had to do to get to here where I could use it, there's a, there's a debt on that from a carbon standpoint, right? How do you decarbonize or lower all that? Then, power is the final one, the energy and the source of that energy and the, the, um, the density of carbon from that energy to get the work done. So... We structured it that way so that we could now holistically tackle this problem. And just a little bit more on that, we also wanted the baseline. What are we starting and how are we we going forward? Mm -hmm. So as of 2021, there there was uh, 7 million data center locations, 7 million unique addresses, okay? They have 105 gigawatts of capacity built. They consume 594 terawatt hours of energy every year that represents 2.4% of the global energy drop. Jeez. That is digital infrastructure. That's 2021, okay? So basically, whenever it leaves your phone or any device, anything in between that, as it traverses, is part of digital infrastructure. From the tower that receives the cell signal to the fiber in the ground to the repeater that goes to the data center that goes to the, the actual storage, right, and compute itself. All of that, now, in comes generative AI. The forecast is it's going to triple sure yeah and remember we also had the pandemic in the middle of that which boosted everything right capacity wise in a very complex environment and they thought that was going to be a spike no that was a new norm the new baseline <laughs> right then you got the next one which is generative ai so again when i say unprecedented growth earlier it's because we've never seen this much demand because the world's found the easy button with ChatGPT and they're consuming it, and every other GPT-like service is going to be pushing more silicon, more compute, right, more data centers, and more power consumption. Hence the tripling. It's just massive amounts of capacity that's coming. That's that's basically being turned up. On top of that, I've been traveling around the world um, uh, this last last year. So India, uh, Africa, Singapore, like and. These areas, LATAM, India, and Africa, have less capacity, totally, than one-fourth of Loudoun County in Virginia. Wow. I want you to put this in perspective, okay? When I went to India in 2019, they had they had 400 megawatts of total capacity for the country of 1.3 billion people. This last trip, I found it was 350 megawatts across Africa, total, okay? LATAM, even less. 18 countries across there, right? There's just... So the growth is going to be exponential all over the place, but those areas are going to be booming because they don't have digital infrastructure yet at scale. And now everything's starting to come in. The forecast is there's 800 megawatts in India now, 1.3 gigawatts in the pipeline. Africa, it's huge. There's 54 countries or something across the continent and there's so much demand that, anyway, that, that's what I mean is we've never seen this before. So how do we build this all sustainably? We're about to triple our infrastructure. We must build this sustainably from a materials, equipment, and power standpoint.
0: Tell me a little bit about Cato Digital and how how does that play into the,
1: the climate accord? <laughs> great question. Um, I'm a very purpose-driven guy. So where I spend my time, I want it to have an impact. Like I was saying, I, I've, I've driven $10 billion worth of stuff around the world. Okay, great, awesome. But what's going forward is that we're about to triple the infrastructure. Yet in our industry, we do a lot of really good things, but we also still have a lot of waste. And it's a disconnect. It's a disconnect between the actual um, infrastructure and the consumer. We have probably 37 gigawatts of that 105 gigawatts never used. Capacity built, it's like empty seats on an airplane or empty hotel rooms. It just isn't used for a variety of reasons, okay? Mm -hmm. So, and I've spent decades trying to go back and, and uh, increase that utilization across eBay, PayPal, Uber, et cetera, right? And we did some great stuff, but in the end of it, there's buffers on buffers on buffers on buffers. Now, the reason I give you that background is I've accepted the fact. So, what we decided to do was we flipped this around and said, how can we take waste streams and turn them into supply chains? How can we take underutilized portfolios and turn them into usable capacity? So that's what we're working on. We basically have low cost, low carbon, bare metal in all the right places. We're taking second life equipment, retired out of hyperscalers, refreshing it, and rolling it back into data centers, utilizing their wasted capacity or stranded capacity. So no net new, it's all second life. And our goal is to put a million servers in a thousand data centers. Wow. There are seven million locations, so there's 43 million servers being retired in the next five years. I think we've got enough. So that's what I mean, the potential impact, this can be the largest of my career, because we've just avoided the million servers and hundreds of megawatts of capacity from being built. So we use what we have. To me, this is really setting up the circular economy aspect. So by the way, this all ties to Scope 3 emissions completely aligned with the iMason's Climate Accord. We're just going after the most difficult thing, which is scope three. It's 80% of the problem. Mm. We avoid building more stuff. We're going to use this stuff for as long as we can.
0: What else, right? What's your next endeavor that you're excited about? <laughs> what What can you share? What are you, what are you working on right now? Because I got to believe with all of that that you just shared, you're not sitting still. There's something else, right? What is it? <laughs>
1: um, you know, in all the conversations we've been having, uh, something has emerged. And uh, I think it's it's... It's something in development, but I can share I can share a little bit of the thoughts here because we, we need everybody to participate in this. Because we created the iMasons community to bring us together, to unite the builders of the digital age on these causes, right? The things that we're looking at. Then what came out of that was the climate accord. And that was to really focus in all of this potential, the buying power, the resources, et cetera, to go decarbonize digital infrastructure. But then you start to look at the demand that's out there. Um, an unprecedented demand of a tripling of what we're building and all these emerging markets. And the thing that we don't really have our arms around is, what does it mean to the local community? What, what does it mean when data centers are built or not built in, in, in uh, local cities and so or countries? And I give the analogy like this. Um, I think that economic development offices around the world the ones that are trying to decide which industries do I want inside of my space, have to look at, for you to participate in the digital age or the digital economy, you have to have digital infrastructure in your community. Because if not, you're basically, you look at the the highways going past you, there's no off-ramp. There's nothing local that people would be consuming, right? So you don't get the benefits of all that traffic that's going through. So that, from an economic standpoint, is an important one for, for these economic development offices to understand. But at the same time, what about the local community? What does it mean to the, the families, the schools, right? Um, all of the different supporting functions inside of a community. So what we have seen is that there is significant economic and um, ecological gain by landing data centers in, in cities, right? And in towns. Because everybody benefits from it. But what we need to understand is what other aspects do we need to consider as an industry to totally tie together with that local community? So a social accord, like we're doing with the sustainability Mm -hmm. side and the climate accord. A social accord to say we understand. And so um, there are frameworks we're putting together to be able to engage. Because what matters is the people that live in those communities and what does it mean to them? Because we're bringing business in, just like when you bring a Sam's Club or a or a Target or something to a community, that boosts jobs, it boosts access, it lowers costs, it does a bunch of other things. What does it mean for digital infrastructure? And do people understand what that is? Right? Do they understand that, the benefit of that and why that is good? But also, does the industry itself understand the needs of the local community? This is a two-way street. So we've got to bring these these communities together to make sure that we're. Just like we talked before, when we bring in infrastructure, that tide lifts all boats. The local community needs to have a benefit from industries that are coming back in, not things that are just taking,
0: Mm.
1: right? And we have to be aware and open to have those conversations and make sure that we can actually have a positive impact socially across the entire community as digital infrastructure starts to expand everywhere. So that's, to me, is paramount. We have to have... We have to have a strategy that allows our industry to engage with local communities to drive the right agenda so that the tide lifts all boats.
0: So th- there's a lot we just covered. How can people learn more? I know that iMasons is really well known. There's, there's probably people out there that still don't know as much as they probably think they do. How can people learn more about iMasons or Infrastructure Masons?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's open to everybody. If you're interested in digital infrastructure, just go to imasons.org and, um, and, and join up. Um also for students and for, for veterans. Um we have scholarship programs and everything. Go to org slash scholarships. Um we've we've now granted over a million dollars in scholarships. Wow. Right? We're raising money and we've got a veterans program that's incredible as part of our member resource groups. How do we go back and take that well-trained workforce that's very diverse Mm. and help them in a transition as they come out of the military into our industry? We need that because we don't have enough people. So I would say go to imasons.org and you can see more there. Um, From Cato, uh, go to cato.digital and you can see on the platform, you can rent service directly, have a conversation with us, reach out. Um, and we're also looking for partners as well on the data center side. Let's have a discussion because we know that the future is digital infrastructure because the world has to use it. It is required. It's like breathing and water and food. Digital infrastructure is going to feed everything that grows around the world. We must have that. So, um uh, feel free to just go to Cato.Digital. And you can reach out to me as well at uh, Dean at Cato.Digital or Dean at iMasons.org.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Dean, this has been a lot of fun catching up. Who who knew that uh, a couple of old rockers from the 90s would be sitting here talking tech so many years later and, and actually you having such a huge impact on this industry. It's, it is it is uh, such a pleasure to talk with you. It really is.
1: Awesome. Right on, Michael. I love I love what we do. So rock and roll. Let's keep going. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. And uh, thank all of you for joining us. For more information about iMasons, go to imasons.org. And for more information about Cato Digital, go to cato.digital. Send comments and questions about this podcast to Crosstalk at comscope.com. My name is Mike Reardon, and this has been Comscope Crosstalk.